Well, welcome to our new series where we hope to step through some of the key parts in Scripture where God makes promises to his people in a series that we're calling Covenant. And covenant is another word for a promise, a biblical word for a promise. It's, it's a, like a contract, an alliance, a, a binding agreement that God makes with his people. Covenant. And as we open up Genesis 2 today to, to start our journey into those promises God makes and this, this whole covenant idea, you may be a little bit curious, I guess, to see that well, that word covenant isn't in this text. And we might well ask, therefore, you know, is there covenant here in, in Genesis 2? You know, when the word isn't used of that relationship between God and Adam. And that's a good starting question, I think, to, to help us think about this, this idea of covenant. And, and people might come to different conclusions as they, they ask that question. Much later in Scripture, however, in Hosea chapter 6, God is then speaking about Israel and Judah and By way of a comparison with Adam, God seems to indicate that this here we're looking at today in Genesis 2 was a covenant relationship between him and Adam. Turn there, if you like, to check and see in Hosea chapter 6, verse 7. It's only one verse. It'll only take us a minute. It's on page 754 of the Church Bibles, uh, down the bottom of the left-hand column, page 754, in Hosea chapter 6, verse 7. And God says in Hosea chapter 6, verse 7, But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. Like Adam, Israel and Judah transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Admittedly, you could read that that statement there as being, I guess, less explicit than perhaps it could be in terms of Adam also having been under a covenant. But on the other hand, you could read that verse again and decide, well, that's pretty well exactly what it's saying, isn't it? That yes, Adam was in a covenant relationship with God. A second hurdle, apart from the word not being there, a second hurdle is that when you when you do see some of the later examples of covenant in Scripture between God and his people at different times, there is, by comparison, much less happening here in Genesis 2 to formally mark this as a covenant. So, you know, there's no ritual or ceremony here, for example, in this agreement between God and Adam. It's, it's really just a short little statement. And it's more or less captured just in those few verses from verses 15 to 17 in the middle of the chapter. And so we could think, you know, there's not enough hallmarks here in, in Genesis 2 of, of, you know, typical Old Testament covenants to call this agreement in this first relationship between God and his people, you know, to call it a covenant It just doesn't seem to have the the typical signs of covenant. Or we could look at it the other way, I guess, that those later and more elaborate covenants that come in Scripture were more elaborate because God was tailoring those covenants into a, a more elaborate social and cultural context that he gave them into. Here in Genesis 2, where we're starting, there. I mean, there is no social context, is there? There is no cultural context to frame this covenant in. There is no human context whatsoever, apart from this one man who's just been created, Adam. And so, you know, there's no cultural packaging, I guess, that that would help Adam better grasp what God is saying here. Anyway, you can wrestle with all that stuff. It all gets a bit academic, actually, if, if we just 
get into the heart of Genesis 2 and see what's here because because although the covenant word isn't here in the text and, and nor all the typical hallmarks of what comes in later covenants, nevertheless, the basic elements of covenant are here. We have two parties, God and Adam, and we have a relationship between them being framed around blessing, agreement and consequence. Blessing, agreement and consequence. The blessing comes first and we should be very careful to note that. Before any interaction with Adam, and in fact before Adam was even created, the blessing of this covenant is bestowed upon him. His very existence, his place, his purpose are all provided for him by the sheer grace of God. And in fact, the first half of this chapter in Genesis 2, just it just lays out that wonderful blessing. Let's pick it up from verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and and there he put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then rivers flowing here and there from this beautiful garden place through through all these lands full of precious stones and so on. There, There is blessing overflowing from the garden. And it is all gifted by God first without Adam having even done a thing yet. In, In fact, it's all put in place for him and him for it. Adam Adam was no such thing but for God who created life and all this blessing that came with it, a garden and trees that are pleasant to see and good for food and water and rivers to sustain life. And so the first element of a covenant here is the blessing of life and God had to bring that into being without anything on the part of the other party in this covenant the man that he created along with this, Adam. So I like to think of this here in Genesis 2 as as a covenant of life. A covenant of life. And as I say, it's captured concisely in in verses 15 to 17 there in, in the middle of the chapter. And that blessing that we're talking about, the blessing that comes first of of life and place and purpose is put crisply there at the start of the equation here in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Adam had nothing before that because Adam was nothing before that. But God is rich and generous and desires to create and love and so he takes the first action in this covenant here. And that he put the man in the beautiful garden, verse 15, runs a little bit deeper in the Hebrew than it does in the English. It's got the sense of God causing the man to rest. 
in the garden. Rest. Rest, not in the sense of, you know, putting his feet up and doing nothing, because on the contrary, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna work and, and watch over the garden. But rest rather in the sense of having place and purpose. That little verse 15 speaks to God's wisdom and love and order and design. And if we were to meditate on that short verse long enough, it it would start to make our hearts yearn for this covenant. The blessing bestowed by God is not just life in in the technical sense. It's life too in the sense of soul and identity and purpose belonging. There is a place for Adam and and there is a purpose for him to fulfill. And then the second element to this covenant of life comes second. And it's something for the other party to agree to by way of this commandment in verse 16, this commandment. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. These different elements interweave, by the way, you probably notice. So, so the first half of this, this so-called commandment is, is actually more extension on the blessing. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Yeah, just in case we already forgot the breathtaking gift of, of life that, that sets up this covenant, the commandment coming second starts by reminding us of all of that blessing that's already here. But, verse 17, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Covenants involve an agreement. Otherwise, if if you think about it, there's no actual relationship. But covenants are, by their nature, relational. They're set up between two parties. And so, so the man must also agree to something. An instruction here, as as simple as it sounds to our ears, but he's not missing out on anything, is he, really, if you think about it? He has already been blessed to the max. So we must note very carefully here that that his obedience to this commandment is, is not in order to receive blessing. It's simply to stay within the blessing he already finds himself in by God's pure grace. And that leads, naturally enough, to the third element of covenant, the consequence if Adam breaks it. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And that sounds a bit harsh at first glance, and probably second glance too, but Mostly, I think, because we've already raced off thinking about apples. But this covenant of life isn't harsh at all. It's actually beautiful, isn't it? It, It's spectacularly generous. And and in anyone's language, it's more than just, you know, fair and reasonable. It's extraordinary. And it's actually quite simple and and logical, too, because, because if the covenant is all about the blessing of life then to step outside that covenant would necessarily mean death. See, the opposite of blessing is curse. And in this case, if the blessing was life, then for Adam to break the covenant should mean to forsake life and be left with only the corresponding curse of death. 
And so before the blessing, Adam was nothing more than lifeless dirt. God gave him the blessing of the breath of life and and everything that came with it here. And so for Adam to reject that would be to go back to the only other alternative of no life or death. It's actually not rocket science when you think about it. And those three verses there, verses 15 to 17, weave those three simple things together in, in in a crisp, logical order for this covenant of life, the blessing, the agreement, and the consequence. We learn some important things about God in this covenant of life. First of all, we learn that God blesses us first, and undeservedly, therefore, by his sheer grace. I mean, that doesn't get much clearer than in this particular case, does it? Where, where God does all of this for what was previously just dirt. Safe to say, I think, that the dirt didn't merit all of this blessing of life and purpose and place. And get used to this pattern for our series, by the way. God blesses first. But so too we learn here that God's blessings aren't then just you know, boxed in or, or constrained by the by the T's and C's of this covenant as it's set out. God doesn't do, you know, just the least that he's agreed to. No, far from it, we see, because he immediately extends the blessing. And again, out of gracious initiative on his part, he, he now brings the man deeper, oh, so much deeper into life and place and purpose by, by way of creating this helper, verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now the man will have company and and human relationship. And a a very specific and, and very beautiful form of human relationship to begin with, that of husband and wife. There's a little footnote on verse 18 if you've got that in your Bible, a footnote that's quite significant. A helper fit for him? Footnote. Or, in other words, corresponding to him, as the the ESV we're looking at at church here puts it in the footnote, corresponding to him. Literally, it reads in the Hebrew, like his opposite, or like his complement. And the beautiful creation account that follows for Eve, taken from Adam's side, captures that sense of being his complement. God immediately expands the blessing. And now there will be fathers and mothers, verse 24, and children and more wives, more people with life and purpose and place and relationship. This blessing is now set for for all kinds of human flourishing in things like family, friendship, community and culture and society. If, of course, Adam stays within the covenant of life. And so we might too learn some things about us here. Because if we were to peek down at the very next chapter in the Bible, we, we see this covenant of life being broken. If you don't know that part of the story, I'll let you follow it up later. It's, it's Genesis chapter 3, all there in one. But let me draw your attention just to, to two things from the human response that comes in chapter 3. First of all, for all of that blessing that Adam was just created into, He chose death. Chapter 3 and verse 6. So when the woman saw that the the forbidden tree was good for food, 
and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. I mean, the covenant was logical and clear and and simple, and, and, and we wonder how the man could turn away from such a full sense of of life and self and relationship and provision and, and everything else in this glorious picture by way of breaking that covenant of life. All on account of the one thing that God said could only lead to death. And that becomes even harder to compute in, in light of what Adam seemingly didn't reach out and grab hold of. If we drop down to chapter 3 and verse 22... Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the man didn't reach out and take from that tree of life? Even though that tree seemingly was within the blessing that he was given and given permission to eat from? but instead he chose the tree of death. And yet we can scratch our heads all day if we want to, but would we have chosen any differently? You know, if it was us. If we had been created there into that that pre-fall space, I guess we could call it, instead of Adam, into, into that first pure covenant of life, would we have chosen any differently? Well, it's impossible to know, of course, because we don't know what the pre-fall us would have been like. But why would we imagine that a pre-fall us would have been any more faithful than a pre-fall Adam? And so so why then with, with the death tree in the first place, we might ask? Well, one thing eventually starts to become clear when we think long and hard enough about those those basic elements of the covenant the blessing and the agreement and the consequence. God is glorified when we trust him. God is glorified when we trust him because that trust assigns to God his true trustworthiness and his generosity and his love and his grace and and all those other things about God that he has shown to us in Scripture. When we can do nothing but trust everything to God, oh yeah, God is glorified by that trust. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, at the very least, served that end by calling us to just trust God and remain in his covenant blessing. But mistrust of God was stronger in the man than trust. And so the covenant of life in Genesis chapter 2, and the way the man breaks it in chapter 3, which sets out the framework for, for how we make sense of everything else in the Bible, and everything else in life too, and everything therefore in death too. Because this fundamental context of of the broken covenant of life became the default situation for humanity. We were sealed out of the garden 
chapter 3, verse 24, right at the end. We were sealed out of the garden and we all now inherit just just a shadow of that, that fuller sense of life that was captured there. And that shadow of life that we do inherit ends in death. And the world around us is desperately searching for a way out of this curse. Everyone's searching for meaning and purpose and life and, and for a sense of place and relationship and all the other things captured in that original covenant of life that God so graciously had put before us. And the reason that we all instinctively feel kind of shadowy, always, always that bit empty and, and lost and desperate and unfulfilled and, and without lasting purpose and meaning and rest, that the reason we feel that way, it all stems from this one and same event where that covenant of life was broken. It affects us all. The default human condition is a broken covenant of life. But where does that leave God in the relationship? You know, if man broke the covenant, have we then inadvertently left God unfulfilled? No, we haven't. No, we haven't. Because you and I may be sinful, friends, but God is still good. And the good news that that translates to for us is is that there is a way back for us to, to something even better even than the garden in Eden. A covenant of forgiveness has also been offered by the same generous God. And we're going to work our way towards that in this series. Spoiler alert, by the way. Uh, But let me just give you the thrust of that good news for now. The human sin that broke the covenant of life needs to be dealt with. The human sin that all of us now still walk in, just the same as Adam, that sin needs to be dealt with. Because if that sin can be dealt with, then we can be brought back into life. And not just life in in this world that we're always fixated on and and, and all the fullness that it can bring to us, but nor simply either life for all our own private eternity, as infinitely better as that might sound to us, but, but no, life in God's presence, serving the purpose God created us for and redeems us for, in the place that he desires us to be, in paradise, as his people gathered all together and in peace and harmony with each other and with him for all eternity. And that covenant of forgiveness that can bring us back was fulfilled by Jesus Christ, who was crucified for our sin. The blessing is now once again open because God has now dealt with our sin. He himself has paid for our sin on the cross and and the curse of, of death that triggered with Adam now gives way again to the blessing of life in Jesus Christ. To all who will simply repent and believe. That is to say, the way back into life is for all who will repent of their sin, turn from their sin, and trust what God has done to secure our forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And so deep down, if you think about it, the covenant that now brings us back into life asks of us the same basic thing as that first covenant had required, that we simply trust God in what he has already done for us. 
God's covenants, you see, are, are basically all about trust. God doesn't insist that we earn his blessing or, or, or pay our own way. He blesses us and asks us to just trust him and to trust that what he has done for us is all that we need for our souls to have rest. So if you haven't heard that good news before about the covenant of forgiveness that corrects this curse that's set in in Genesis 3, that, that Christ died for our sins for this reason, to bring us back to God, then hear it today and know today that, that you must only repent and believe and it can be yours. Trust God that your sin is paid for in Jesus and you will have life. Or you could distrust him like Adam did in Genesis 3. If you have heard that good news, then, then hear it again today. The reason behind all the suffering and, and hardship and curse and struggle in this life is, is because that covenant of life was broken. But in Jesus, God has secured our way back. If your trust is in Jesus for this forgiveness, then you've already been swept back up into life. Expect it eventually to break free from the curse altogether in God's good time. Expect it to last to all eternity. Wait for it eagerly to come in full in the meantime, because this is God's covenant to bring us back for all who believe. And God doesn't break his covenants. Anyway, it turns out I've given you the two bookends for our series. I hope you enjoy the journey in between. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for your scripture to us and the concept that we begin in this series and unpack today in Genesis 2 of covenant, that, that you would create us and create blessing for us in, in every sense of the word blessing upon us that you've so graciously given. And yet here we are in sin, Father. Forgive us for our sin, that, that we too, like Adam, continue to walk in. Every time we distrust you, every time we seek some kind of pleasure outside your blessing, forgive us, Father, for our sin. Thank you for this covenant of forgiveness that we've just touched on and will work our way towards in your scripture. Uh, this covenant of forgiveness in Jesus Christ that has dealt with our sin so that we once again may have life. Strengthen us, Father, in these truths and, 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 and give us what we need to walk now in a surer trust that all that we need has been done for us by you. And so then may you be glorified, world without end. Amen.